See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that he would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Thanks, Janet. Morning all, how are we? It is uh, lovely to have a week full of sunshine, isn't it? Um, and uh, and and there's this. I noticed most of you are rugged up, but John and I, we're we're hot-blooded men, so we uh, we seem to be coping really well in these conditions. Uh, now, um, as John mentioned, quite often uh, I'm, I'm out there in in kids' church, and uh, and you poor folk are in here. Uh, you miss out what what happens in there. So so I just thought I'd share with you what we did last week. The lesson was about how Jesus puts broken people back together. And we read the story of Eutychus from from Acts chapter 20. Now, you you may recall the story. Eutychus is sitting in a window. He's listening to a particularly long sermon and he falls asleep. Plummets three stories to his death. However, Paul in the power of Christ, raises Eutychus back to life. We then made cute little Eutychus eggmen. We put little arms on them, little legs, whatever else. They, they looked great. And then we sat them on top of a, three boxes and they plummeted, smashed, and then we peeled them and ate them. <laughs> Only one leader ended up with egg on them. And no one fell asleep. So I thought that was a, a, a pretty pleasing result all round. Uh, the thing is, though, there, there was another message being delivered in here, and I missed uh, much of that. Uh, but fortunately, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it was about. Fortunately, we've, uh, we've, we've uh, have it recorded, and, and I got to listen to it through the week. And uh, I, I wasn't sure if Steve was going to be here or not, and and uh, he might think, no, that's what, what I'm about to say isn't what I, I hope you'd get out of it. But for me, I, I would summarise his message as this. God is for us. We all fall short. Jesus stands in for us. Stick with Jesus. So this week, we build on that theological uh, grounding with some practical advice Practical advice for, for fallible Christians like myself and no doubt you on how to live in this age between Christ's resurrection 
and Christ's return. And the writer of Hebrews invites us to learn from the past, from a story that shows us what not to do, suggesting rather that we do the opposite. Now, I heard a, a similar story recently, and I'd, I'd just like to share it with you. But uh, a man was, was at a party, and uh, as happens at parties, the, the men congregate here, the women congregate there, and he accidentally eavesdropped on his wife while she was speaking to the other ladies. And, and she said, when my husband passes, I'll never marry again. Now, there was one young woman there who clutched her chest. She said, that's just so beautiful. I only hope I display that level of love and devotion after I've been married to my husband as long as you've been married to yours. The wife interrupted. She said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, dear. You've completely misunderstood. What I'm saying is I won't make the same mistake twice. As you can imagine, a chorus of women echoed the sentiment and uh, the man was stunned. He, he couldn't decide whether or not to share this painful insight with his fellow pastors that were gathered out on the balcony. Now, I apologise if I've made anyone feel uncomfortable this morning. I, I promise you, to, you can just relax. Your secret is safe with me. Now, what this story does illustrate is that we learn from our past experiences and we also learn from the shared experiences of, of others. Uh, now King David in, chapter, in, in Psalm 95, which a lot of this, uh, this message is, is, is drawn from, in, in Psalm 95 he's passing on the insights that he gained from the experiences of Israel in the, the wilderness during the Exodus. And then the writer of Hebrews, what we just read, is adding his insights to those previously noted by King David in Psalm 95. And, and I guess you could say that me up here now, giving you this sermon, I'm adding some of my insights to the Hebrew writer, to David's uh, uh, experiences. And I must say, I, I find this, this idea of the Bible uh, quoting itself for successive generations, really quite fascinating. And visually, it, it looks something like our, our next slide. Okay, now, I, I, this slide, you've, you've probably seen this sort of thing before. It used the, now I've got to try to pronounce it right because it's a Dutch or German word, droste, droste effect. And it's where an image is repeated within the image ad infinitum. And it's done here by a camera taking the image it sees and transmitting it directly to a monitor. But you can get the, the same effect at home with a couple of mirrors facing each other. Uh, and, and if they're slightly angled and if you're standing in the right spot, you'll be able to see yourself repeated and repeated and repeated in the, in the mirror. My concern is that some of us in the Christian community for whom normality has been upended by the, the recent crises are finding themselves not quite in the right spot to see anything from Scripture that, that speaks to them. Um, further, it, it concerns me that, that some people haven't returned to physically participating 
in the life of the church. And, and, and this isn't just a, a Lismore Baptist thing, but nearly every church has noted a drop in their, their members, their attendance. And while the floodwaters have receded and COVID restrictions have been lifted, so it seems that some folk no longer feel a compulsion to participate within a Christian community. Well, Hebrews was written for Christians who had gone through a hard time that required them to endure abuse, persecution, suffering and the loss of property, with some of their numbers also giving up on meeting together. So I see in, in, in this message um, something that probably applies to us. The Hebrew writer urges his listeners to not only continue in their faith, but to step it up. And he shows them how, offering them some solid teaching to fortify and even supercharge their faith. And I'd like to share with you five, five insights that, that I've gleaned from this passage. The first tip is to listen to the Holy Spirit. We read it there, so as the Holy Spirit says... In a crisis, we desperately want to hear from God, don't we? And I'm sure some of us can testify that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us directly at such a time. But here the writer urges us to listen to the Holy Spirit when we read Scripture. In this instance, it's Psalm 95. In the very next chapter, we'll read that God spoke through David to his generation some thousand years earlier than the, the Hebrews, again through Psalm 95. Now this idea of, of dual authorship, a person and the Holy Spirit writing Psalm 95, shouldn't surprise us. In, in, in fact, it's a foundation of Baptist doctrine, uh, that Scripture was written by holy people of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now when David wrote Psalm 95, he knew what was being communicated to his listeners, but he had no idea of how it would speak into the lives of the Hebrews a thousand years later. He had no idea how it will speak into our lives 2,000 years after that. So what we find is when we, when we read these old scriptures written for someone way in the past, for it to mean something to us is, is an act of the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Now, as a student of the Bible, um, all of us are students of the Bible, we should be working hard to understand what is being said to the first hearers. We want to be able to read this passage in Hebrews and understand what they're getting out of it, but then it's the Holy Spirit that takes that and shows us how it applies to us today. What stopped Israel from taking on board what the, what the Spirit was saying was a hardness of heart. They had chosen a combative stance rather than allowing themselves to be vulnerable to God's Word. I think we see a bit of that today, but, but another common problem that we find is, is we like to read the Bible in a way that supports what we already believe. Um, rather than, than letting us speak and challenge us on its terms, which can differ as, as the world is rapidly changing. 
one of the great things about the, uh, the Baptist movement is that uh, it hasn't tied itself down to, to creeds, but allows that freedom to uh, let the, the Bible speak to us in successive generations. In this week's Bible study, I've, I've offered some tips on how to stay on, on track and uncover the writer's original intent. And, and I believe this helps us to discern the, spirit, the message that the Spirit has for us. Um, I'll add that when the Spirit does speak to us through the Bible, it, it's taking these distant texts and it's making them alive and vibrant to us today. I like to, to describe it as being fit for purpose. It's fit for us now. I've got to add that I am excited that Lismore Baptist teaches from the Bible. Uh, in fact, when I first met many of you, it was uh, some years ago uh, when John was teaching from the lens material provided by Morling College. And, uh, and, and for me, that was, was a great time. It, it, it actually encouraged me to want to get into the Bible and, and, and really contributed to me then going and studying at Morling College. So can I encourage you all to, to be active Bible readers? One of the best ways is, is to be involved in, in home groups. I'll be praying that God creates in you a thirst for his word, that you'll want to immerse yourself in his word. And I'm confident that in doing so, you will become more attuned to hearing what God has to say to you. The next point is to recognise a time of testing. A friend, uh, a friend of mine who had floodwaters pass through their house shared the, the, the pain and, and anger that she felt when a, a Christian neighbour praised God for his faithfulness in stopping the floodwaters right at her front door. Put yourself in my friend's shoes. What would you be thinking? What questions would you be asking? Is it me, God? Am, am, am I somehow not holy enough? What more should I have done so that I get your grace? Or maybe it's you, God. Maybe you show favoritism among your children. Maybe I'm just not your favourite. Maybe you've had a friend explain to you that they can no longer follow God because he has let them down. He's not met their expectations. They tell you that their decision has been reached after prolonged consideration. And they don't want any further discussion. The matter is closed. Their heart has become hard. Were the door still open, I think this section is insightful. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. So I think the question we, we quite often don't ask when we're in these, these times and, and when we have those sort of situations is, have I misunderstood? Have I been misinformed about you, Lord, and the plans you have for me at this time? And, and I, I, I think maybe the answer is yes. Yes, you probably have. Take Israel in Egypt. They're, if they're only hearing God saying, 
I'll free you from slavery and give you the promised land, then they're not going to be prepared for the wilderness experience, are they? It made me think of a, a time when my son came up to me. He, he, was only, he was only, you know, a preschooler, a little kid. He, you know, I think we'd taught him how to count to 10 and that was about it. And he comes up and says, Dad, do you want to hear me count to 100? I said, mate, go for it. And he says, one, two, skip a few, 99, 100. Can you see where I'm going with that? Why the Exodus story is, is relevant to the New Testament Hebrews and to us is that we're following that same pattern. We live in a time between Christ's coming and his second coming. Oh. And we've been rescued, but we haven't been resettled. In this middle time, we are to place our trust in Jesus because we are going to be tested. I hear someone say, how can Jesus allow this to happen? Well, just read with me Luke 4, verses 1 and the first bit of 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. You know the story, don't you? God quotes, sorry, Jesus quotes God's words uh, to the Bible to refute him, uh, from the Bible to refute Satan. Satan was offering instant gratification, wasn't he? Do this, I'll give you this, straight away. You don't have to go through all, all this pain and suffering. You can have it now. But Jesus refused, didn't he? Placing his trust in the Father and enduring the present crisis. It is in this now but not yet age, we enjoy some of the blessings that come from knowing Jesus as our Lord and we are already the kids of the kingdom. Yet we still face trials in this fallen world. Now trials can do two things. They can either fortify your faith or they can reveal that there's no faith at all. In recognising now as a time of testing, we too, like Jesus, can choose to place our trust in God. The only other option is to face the perils of unbelief, which is our next point. I recall a story, many of you may have heard this, of a, a tightrope walker pushing a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls to the applause of the crowd. He asked, who believes I could do this again with someone sitting in the wheelbarrow? Hands shot up. They all believed. He then asked, who would like to volunteer? This story is often used to distress the difference between belief and trust. But in verse 12 and 19, the word translated as unbelief is from the Greek apistos, which means unbelief, surprise, surprise, unfaithfulness and distrust. It's joining unbelief and distrust together. And I found this helpful because it gives me a, a simple definition of sin as failing to trust God, failing to believe God. 
and therefore failing to be faithful to God. It was the sin of distrusting God that prevented Israel from crossing the Jordan and entering the promised land. It is the same sin that will stop us from entering our promised rest. On this point, the the writer of Hebrews concludes his explanation of Psalm 95 and he offers two further insights. The first one is to encourage each other. When I think of this, I I think of the commercials on the TV. Are you okay? This is like, are you okay for Christians? Uh, A report I, I read recently indicated that loneliness is a major problem not only in society, but also in Australian churches. And people that don't feel welcomed, they don't stay, do they? So when we think of this idea of encouraging each other, it it, it seems a no-brainer to to realise that there's some some very simple things we can do. I'm really giving the, uh, the home groups a plug, but becoming part of a a smaller group, becoming part of something where you actually get to know people. Now you folks, most of you have been together for a long time and and, uh, and you know each other, but some of us newer people, it's it's a great idea to join a group where you get to know people just that little bit more intimately. So I'd really encourage you there. For those, those of us that are well established in the church, can I suggest that you broaden your social network? I'm not finding it here, but uh, over Easter in Sydney, I I went to two church services and I found them terribly clicky. Uh, One of them, I I left because after hanging around after church, no one spoke to me, no one approached me. It's a terrible experience. If only someone had, it would have changed my whole perception of that church. And that leads to the next point. When we're here, the first thing we do at the end of this service is not go talk to our best friend or whatever else but zoom in on the person that uh, is a visitor is a stranger here now I haven't picked up any strangers here today but but you're going to be mobbed at the end of the service I hope (laughs) make people feel welcome and also I, I mentioned that the folks that haven't come to back to church give them a phone call check on them have a chat with them you know even if people aren't here for for a couple of weeks and you don't know why don't don't let it draw on drag on and on because as it drags on and on they're becoming more set their hearts are hardening hardening doesn't happen like that it's a it's a process of increasing increasingly becoming hard get in there early with people it's a great idea But you know, when I read this, I I suspect the writer has more than just the survival of faith in mind. I I, um, turn to Hebrews chapter 24, and I'm sorry I don't have it on the screen. Uh, uh, Sorry, let me start again. Hebrews 10 verse 24. I'm finding when I was doing my my, uh, preparation for this that that Hebrews 10 is like the, the sister chapter to Hebrews 3. And Hebrews 10 24 reads... And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
Now, did you get those words? It's, it's moving forward. It's not just staying in, in one place. And it takes us into the realm of discipleship and the expansion of our faith to become one who will impact others. Now, I, I'm probably speaking um, out of place here, but a few of our number are invested in a course that's called Building a, a Discipling Culture, or BDC for short. I'm not involved, but I understand that uh, they've invited into an encouraging relationship with one another and a challenge to change and grow. The idea is that uh, they then will invite others into a relationship where they're challenged to change and so on. It's quite a frightening concept if, uh, if you're a, what I call a, a consumer Christian, um, someone who just wants to come to church, is content to stay where you are, on your couch or comfy chair or whatever, um, uh, don't really want to become active, but are just quite happy to, to uh, offer criticism from the sideline. Um, having someone coming up and saying, well, we want you to move forward and get, become more active, it, it's very confronting. But not only will it be, be good for us to step up, but it is essential for the vitality of the church. And, uh, and looking at some of the BDC material, th this quote uh, spoke to me particularly. Effective discipleship builds the church, not the other way around. We need to understand the church as the effect of discipleship, not the cause. If you set out to build a church, there's no guarantee you will make disciples. In fact, it's far more likely that you will create consumers who depend on the spiritual services that religious professionals provide. Sorry, there's a lot in there. The reason that this resonates with me is, as I've mentioned, we've got a little house church going at, uh, at Lennox Head and we're hoping that over time that might grow into something else. I am praying that the folk there will become active. I don't really want just a group of people there that are the couch Christians that just want to be fed. I want them to be ones that also feed. So this speaks a lot to me. Have another look at that verse because it, it tells us when we're into when we are to encourage others. Can you see it there? Today, now, every day. There's something hidden there which I found fantastic news because I stuffed up yesterday. I didn't do things quite right. The great news is I can be encouraged today. What happened yesterday is gone. Today is a fresh day. Be encouraged today. Today is always new. It's always fresh. And that's great news for, for us fallible Christians. One more point. 
fix your eyes on the prize. It's a catchy little saying, isn't it? And I love the NIV's translation here. We have come to share in Christ. Share, I guess partakes the same word, but share just, just speaks to me. The Greek root for share is metokos. I think I got that right. And it's used to describe a partner or an associate. And it brings to my mind other passages that speak of our covenant relationship with Jesus. And also brings to mind that, that image of Christ, sorry, as the church, of the church as the bride of Christ. We've, uh, we're going to a wedding next weekend and uh, we've recently had the pleasure of uh, having regular conversations with the, the mother of the bride. And she offers, has offered some of her reflections on, on the trials of preparing for this wedding. When we ask her how the, the bride and groom are coping, she tells us they don't even notice. They don't even notice. Isn't that how love should work? Isn't, I, I mean, I found that really exciting when she told us that. They don't notice. It should be the same with us, shouldn't it? We can be assured too that Christ is fully committed to our relationship. There's absolutely no doubt. We read in uh, Hebrews 23, 10. Sorry, I've done it again. We read in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he, Jesus, who promised, is faithful. I think when, when we're in love, when we're, in, we're invested in that, that relationship with Christ, then we start to see the trials around us as being nothing but a, of a temporary nature and of no consequence in the kingdom, in the marriage ahead. It's great news if we can just fix our eyes on the prize. So look, just recapping those, those five points. The first was listen to the Holy Spirit by immersing yourself in understanding Scripture. The next was recognise that we are still in a time of testing. And in a time of testing, you just need to place your trust in Jesus. And, and work through it. We need to consider the perils of unbelief. Unbelief is a choice. It's not God keeping us out, it's us refusing to, to go in, us refusing to, to enter his rest. And then the, the two points that, that the writer of Hebrews added to what David had said was, encourage each other to step up, to become disciples who grow the kingdom. And of course, the last and, and, and the thing that holds it all together is to always keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that, uh, that you speak through us to us through your word, Lord. We thank you that the Holy Spirit does make it vibrant and alive to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will give us a thirst for your word, Lord, that we, we want to know it, own it, 
and then impart it to others. Lord, make us encouragers. Make us encouragers, Lord. And Lord, help us to always keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.